Hello. Welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, we just had that conversation about risks that we have internally reaching out to other people within our own lives. And in this episode, I want to expand it to broader as a church community, maybe our, our individual building that we go to church in or a diocese as a whole. There's lots of different ways to look at this. Um, but the point being, you're in a group in, in a church and the fundamental problem that we all see pretty much universally is that there's less of us now than there were X amount of years ago. And depending upon how far away X is, the bigger the number it is. Unfortunately, that's just where it seems to be at in America. So what I want to do today is recognize two things. First is, is a, a business construct that I know um, that I'd like to just bring to the table and see if there's any applicability, because I think that it does have applicability. And the second being that conversation we just have over our own internal fear holding us back. So in business, there's this notion that people hear, why do we do things this way? Well, because it's the way we've always done it is kind of the universal answer. And at sometimes that's a very okay and acceptable answer. And sometimes it's very bad and not acceptable. And it has, in my opinion, one key difference of when it's acceptable or when it's not. It's acceptable to say we're always doing it that way if the people who are giving that answer went through the process of learning why they went that way. Normally by trial and error, they tried doing something, it didn't work, so now we do it this way, and this way works. And as long as the people who are saying that are the ones who physically went through that process of learning why it works, but it just might be really complicated to explain over and over again. So it just becomes easier to say, well, this is just the way we do it here. If you know how it, we got there and why we got there, there is tremendous value in the answer. But if you have just had it handed to you and you never did the work of knowing how it got there, you end up with not knowing why this is the way we always do it, nor how did we get there. And that in the business world can be incredibly damaging because it allows you to open up pathways to habits that are wrong, but putting them under the prism that they're right. And I bring that up because in the business world, that can really slow and erode people's profits as they go throughout time because this eventually becomes employee A is no longer here. Employee B was with employee A, but now employee C, who's essentially three generations away, was not here during the development process and growth of this system. And he has no idea how he does it. So now he's the one who's in charge because A and B are gone. Things, chaos can ensue very quickly. So I bring that up because inherently the church has gone through many more generations than just A, B, and C. We are now on year 2022. Um, so we have had many people go through our parishes that used to be in charge, maybe our grandparents or great-grandparents, that learn how to do things to reach out to the community that are probably not applicable to today's world. But the people in between our great-parents and uh, our great-grandparents and us just had the notion of, well, this is just the way we do it. This is just the way we do it. And we've had these unproductive habits. And I call them unproductive because I look at the results. The results are less people are here than they used to be. 
So from an, an evangelization standpoint, unproductive habits seek into the day-to-day activities of running a parish. And I want to start there because overcoming that mindset of this is the way we always do it is an incredibly hard nut to crack. And there's a lot of institutional bias that gets in. Inherently, at some point, you're normally telling someone they're you're doing it wrong. And normally that person is in some form position of power. And that is in of itself is a frightening conversation. It's there's a lot of ego egos can be involved in this. You know, how dare I'm never going to implement someone's idea that wasn't mine. There's a lot of people that unfortunately have that mindset. And it can really be from an institutional standpoint, a destructive mindset. This is the way we always used to do it. So I want to start there because I have a strong suspicion that this mindset has taken over our church for a very long time, and we don't even know how to address it. And when I say our church, I mean the Catholic faith in America. Uh, I don't mean that specifically to the building I'm at in Pittsburgh, but I just mean universally. So with that being said, it's something that we all can attack in our own individual lives and, and fix our place first before we fix everyone else around us. So that's why I wanted to do these episodes in the order we did, kind of fix ourselves first. Now let's go out in the world and see if we can help fix the church. So with that being said, Father, I want to leave it to you to see if there's any credence in what I said, if there's any legitimacy, um, or if I'm completely wrong and I should just go home, that's fine too. <laughs> um, well, I think the mindset of this is how we've always done it can be seen from some different perspectives and um, I, I think there's a complementarity there. So our church, uh, there there are some things that we should keep doing because this is how we've always done it, because that's actually in accord with something that is eternally true and always valuable. And so, uh, you know, there's a, there's certainly a preference for continuing to do what we've done and the exception would be if we actually know why we're doing it and things have changed such that that practice could change, then we could consider changing it. Uh, now we're going to have a whole other uh, categorization of things. One thing is the liturgy, for example. Uh, so why are we doing the things in the mass that we're doing? Well, we did receive that from somewhere. Now we should, in so, some cases, we need to go back to the sources of where we received it from. And I mean, even just the immediate liturgical law that was uh, promulgated in 2011, most recently, the general instruction on the Roman Missal. And we need to revisit the documents because we are an organic church, but we are also a church that communicates through the word. And so uh, we need to draw from the authentic tradition and uh, anyway, there's a, we could do a whole episode on uh, liturgy, uh, the mass, uh, liturgy of the hours, sacraments, these kinds of things, and where we draw that from. It, the, the church is very clear that it's not up to the priest to innovate in those areas. It's, uh, he doesn't have the right to do that. So just like, uh, you know, you could think in terms of business practice, you you may or may not like the laws, uh, uh, Sarbanes-Oxley or, uh, you know, the, the tax laws or something like that. You might think that it's stupid and it, it ought to be reformed. Well, that's not up to you. 
So you can work for that. <laughs> and and you you know you can take steps, but you can't just decide to change that. Uh, why do we do it? Because it's the law. So there's a there's a certain amount in our Catholic faith that is like that because we don't have individual. Uh, ch- each church is doesn't have its own unique law. We belong to a universal church that also is goes throughout time. I like the way that Chesterton described it. G.K. Chesterton said, tradition is the democracy of the dead. Um, The dead people get a vote. Uh, We're not part of a church that only consists of who is living today. We're part of a church that consists of all those who have ever been part of the church. And they also get a vote. And their vote is what they did in their lifetime. And so we need to take that into account and not just overturn everything. Uh, Now, that's not strictly speaking, something that we tally up and count up and whatever else, but it just expresses an idea in terms of democracy that we tend to have a reverence for. Tradition is the is the democracy of the dead. It gives our, our forefathers, our forebears, the uh, participation as well. So, so in terms of what can change, we need to know uh, what can change. Now, having said that, even if something can't change, it really helps us to know why it's there. And then we have an easier time embracing it. And as you mentioned, we can lose track of why things were put into place. And there's always a value in recovering that. Um, I did a little project in terms of the mass on the silent prayers of the priest. There are 10 prayers during the mass that the priest prays quietly, not for everybody to hear. Some priests pray them for everybody to hear, but they're not supposed to. That's a different <laughs> issue. But uh, there, there are those prayers and they, there's something that's communicated through that. And the project was really helpful for me because I looked up the history of the liturgy. There's a, a 2000 page, two volume work by Josef Jungmann, who is a, a German liturgical scholar. And he um, went back through the whole tradition and, and looked up all of the old liturgical texts and saw how things developed. And you can find things like, well, you know, the prayer that the priest says before receiving communion is one of the more recent, recently added prayers. It's only about a thousand years old. <laughs> so uh, the other prayers are more ancient, like 1500 years old. Uh, you really see the depth of the church and you can get some insight around what things were added and why they were and what they mean. And and those reflections have developed over time and there's a history, but there's a really rich tradition of uh, things like the mass and the elements of the mass that shouldn't just be uh, innovated willy-nilly because the pastor thinks he has a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the pastor's good idea doesn't mean that much in the context of 2000 years of an organic development and a robust tradition that has real depth to it. So we have to be a little careful with that. Now, having said that, there is some room for uh, that kind of development and, uh, you know, those those things happen over time. To re- reiterate your point about rediscovering why things are the way they are, always valuable. Uh, could they be different? A useful question to ask. And then depending on what they are, we could uh, explore that. Now I talked the one extreme, so things in the liturgy that we don't just change, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the scripture, we don't just come up with new books in the Bible. The canon is set, it's unchanging. Mm -hmm. Now the translations adjust and I'm 
always kind of nuancing and criticizing translations. I am not a Greek expert, but I understand some of it, and uh, I can do that sort of thing. Now, on the whole other end of the spectrum, like why do we have the fish fry uh, the third Sunday, the third Friday of Lent or something? Uh, why do we have a bulletin that we keep printing when nobody looks at it? Um, why do we not have social media to replace the bulletin or to complement it? Um, why do we have mass at 8 a.m. Uh, instead of 9 a.m. or 1 p.m.? Uh, why do we, you know, there are, there are a number of things that are genuinely adjustable, some simply by the decision of the pastor uh, or even the people who are running those particular events. Some things can, can change quite easily and reasonably. Now, there again, we don't want to just go around changing things for the sake of changing things or changing things that we don't understand why they're there. We there's a way that when we just move uh, the cheese as the, anyway, that management book, we just move things. And then we discover a bunch of people that, you know, why, why is mass at 8am? We ask around, nobody knows we change it to 9am. And then suddenly there's a whole population that can't get to mass and they're irritated about it. Well, we didn't know to ask them. Well, we did, we could have found other ways to ask before we just change the time. Right. So mm -hmm. um, there's a, a value to being careful about these things, not just coming in like a bull in a China shop. Another dimension of this is there's always a fruitful tension, and it seems to be rooted in part in our personalities. There are the kind of people who are innovative, and they do come up with uh, good ideas, and they do challenge the status quo, and uh, they raise questions, and they really go after uh, a, a new idea. There are other people who are more fundamentally, like in their personality, conservative kinds of people that like things to remain the same and really feel jarred when something gets changed. And there are some people who are a little bit in between. Um, we have to be careful not to only empower one kind of person in a pair setting, I would say in any organizational structure, mm -hmm. um, but a pair setting being one example of that. It's really good to have on your pastoral council or the decision makers in the parish, or your staff, or whatever, people on both ends of the spectrum. The people who are going to feel it when you move the mass time from 8 to 8.30, and it's going to like throw off their whole life, and they're going to fight it tooth and nail. Good. Have those people on the committee. We need those people. But also the person who says, listen, there's a whole population of people who could come if we moved it to 8.30. This is a really good idea. It would This advantage, this advantage. Let them fight it out. It's a great thing to uh, to empower those kinds of processes. So I think uh, getting engaged in that level is really useful too. Again, on a committee for the whole parish and a particular group of the parish, whatever it is, ways that we can do things differently organizationally that uh, that could really be a benefit for opening up the doors of the church to welcome more people back or welcome more people in for the first time. And that's a very important distinction there. As you said, there's some things with the faith we just can't change, um, and, and, and nor should we try to. Um, and, and I guess I, I should let my personality be out here for those that, that don't know it is I tend to be results-based, and there is an inherent joy and problem with that mindset. The joy is you get results. The problem with it can be is sometimes you attribute the wrong reason you got the results. Like I've had sales that people were going to buy from me 
no matter what, just because they needed what I was selling. And I thought I did something all spiffy and awesome. So it actually wasn't the, the, the right thing to do. I just happened to fall into a situation where it was going to work no matter what I did. I just needed to basically have a pen. And that's all I really needed. And um, that is, is, is a recognition of my own benefits and flaws of the way that, that I sell. Because in a lot of ways, I look at this problem of people not coming to from a sales perspective. I mean, obviously there is some legitimate transportation issues, but I think for the most part in modern America, it's not that it's at the end of the day, from my vantage point, I'm going to a place I'm putting time into it. What am I going to get out of it? Cause that's essentially where us as a culture, we are. I mean, if there's nothing in it for me, I'm not going to do it. I'd rather go, and do nothing than do something I'm not going to get anything out of, which is essentially the way I view the country for better or worse. I think that's pretty accurate. So when we look at these types of things, yes, there's obviously a lot more people searching Twitter and Facebook than there are reading our bulletins online or even just getting handed out. That's a given fact. Um, Most of the people who are in the church run their own Facebook and some of them for way more hours of day than ever could be conceivably justified. Um, I know many of them. Um, so why can there not be a, a way to this? And that's where the barriers we get of this is the, the Bolton's how we always told people that this was coming up. This is how we always got new recruits to come help us at the fish fry. Um, for example, or why even, even why is the fish fry these hours? You know, why is this the only mode we have of accepting orders for it? And now, obviously, COVID made us question a whole lot of that kind of thing. But overall, in most churches, probably because of the demographic shift that the majority of the reason there's less people there is because young people in general stopped coming at the rate that they used to. So kind of by default, young people aren't there in the same percentage that they were in the 50s or the 70s or what have you. So there is a rooting into, well, we always just did it the bulletin way. We always did it these weekends. This is just what we do. And the results get ignored. So you can see it's a natural conflict to my personality there. But I'm also running into people where it's almost like the concrete of their decisions is set and you're just going to be running into a concrete wall if you want to try to change it. So I I, I feel like I'm not the only person who's ever experienced this um, in any context. That it, this, this is much more applicable than just conversations about about specific topics of getting people to church. Um, and and as a life skill, is there a way to get better with not running ourselves into a concrete wall and being an unstoppable force versus an immutable object and having tension or is the tension necessary and we just got to man up and deal with it. Well, and, and uh, I like your insight about the danger of results attributing the wrong reason to the outcome. I also think there's a danger in what you measure and there's a tendency to measure uh, bodies in the pews, but is that actually a meaningful measure? We had more bodies in the pews, but if they actually had faith, they would still be in the pews. So the fact that we got people in the church, if they didn't actually understand what they were doing, 
or they weren't uh, participating in other things, if they weren't in it for more than just showing up on Sunday, uh, or if they were only in it for, yeah, some loose kind of cultural reasons or whatever else, then have we really, is that really the right thing to measure? So, Mm. um, you know, the number of people in the pews who actually contribute to the parish um, monetarily or by participating in other activities, the number of people in the pews who actually invite other people to be in the pews, uh, that's a more interesting measure than you see levels of commitment. So anyway, just to, to reinforce the, you know, results, paying attention to results is important. Um, yeah, uh, you know, then there's always a danger of, of measuring numbers in Christianity because, uh, you know, it's not, it's not merely, um, a function of uh, input and output. I do this thing and then I get this output. Uh, actually, today's first reading uh, as we're recording this is about St. Paul saying, I didn't proclaim the gospel. He's speaking to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2 verses 1 to 5. He says, I didn't, I didn't come with the gospel with words or wisdom, lest you would only be moved by human eloquence. I came with a proclamation of spirit and power and uh, demonstration of spirit and power. And so it's like, yeah, uh, maybe what we need to convince people is miracles. <laughs> maybe we really need to like do something extraordinary, a demonstration of spirit and power, not just our clever arguments. Maybe we get people into the pews for a week, but uh, they're not really convinced because they haven't seen something uh, in spirit and power. And likewise, you and I using exactly the same words, um, you know, your level of, of faith uh, conviction and the movement of the Holy Spirit working through you as you speak those words may have more of an impact than when I say exactly the same words. And that's where we need to become saints also. And uh, so we might attribute, that's going back to your danger of results, attributing it to the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was the words I used. No, actually, it was spirit and power. It was the fact that you were a saint when you said those things. It wasn't the words themselves, as if I could repeat the same words and it would have the same impact. Uh, so a lot of different moving parts around that. But anyway, a really, really good discussion. Yes, and hopefully it does help people because I know that this is not a unique problem to my individual building or diocese. And I know that people listen to us all over the country, all all over the world, actually. And hopefully there's some insights there that can be brought to the conversations you are having about how to grow your parish, how to reach out to a family member. It's more so in the last episode that maybe has drifted away, how to maybe have a conversation with them and you know, come to church, then go to breakfast after it or something like that. So um, ideas that we can have moving forward, you know, type deal. So we thank everyone for listening. Please help and share us, share us to someone who might be a decision maker within your parish and maybe it'll help soften, soften the conversation and make things better. So we thank everyone for being with us this week and we will be with you again next week.